The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It is nine minutes after eight. Thank you so much for tuning in to AM Live and time now for the Forum at Eight. Now, former National Director of Public Prosecutions, Vusipi Koli, has been quoted recently as blaming political interference for the failure to prosecute apartheid-era crimes by the National Prosecuting Authority. Bikoli filed an affidavit in support of a court case from the family of Nogtulas Melane, who was abducted by a security branch in 1983 and brutally tortured for five weeks on a farm in the northwest province. Her body has never been found. And while amnesty was granted for some of her torturers, it was refused to others. But no prosecutions followed. And on the Forum at 8 this morning, we ask, why didn't uh, the South African government uh, follow through on um, prosecutions uh, for apartheid-era crimes? And um, we have quite a big panel this morning. Uh, joining us firstly um, on the line is Yasmin Suka, who's the Executive Director of Foundation for Human Rights SA. And Yasmin, of course, served as a commissioner on the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Thanks for your time this morning, uh, Yasmin. Good morning, thank, and good morning to your listeners as well. We also have with us Angela uh, Modukuti, who is a lawyer for the International Criminal Justice Program at uh, Southern African Litigation Center. Thanks for coming through this morning, Angela. Thank you for having me. Dr. Marjorie Jobson will be joining us shortly. Uh, she's a national director of the Kulumani Support Group. And uh, Teping Kadimeng joins us. Um, her family, of course, spent more than three decades looking for her sister, Nogtula Smelane. And they learned about her sister going missing and have suffered the most terrible things at the hands of uh, the apartheid police. And uh, Tembi, thanks so much for speaking to us this morning. Kinan, how are you? Well, thanks, Tembi. Now, Yasmin, if I could start with you. I mean, you know, um, this is, of course, a very important question. And many people have been, you know, speculating around why these prosecutions haven't taken place post the TRC. And then I think last week when Vusipikoli um, uh, came out and, you know, made uh, the affidavit that he did, it just confirmed what most people had suspected Anyhow, so my question to you is, given the TRC, the process that unfolded, you know, how does this impact the lack of follow through? How does this impact on the integrity of that entire process? And I think, I mean, it's useful to just go back to, I think, three points. The one is that um, we should all remember that apartheid was declared a crime against humanity by the General Assembly and that was endorsed by the Security Council. And then, of course, you had the TRC legislation, which made it very clear that if you did not apply for amnesty or if you did apply and you were refused amnesty, then prosecutions would follow. And, of course, in 1998, when the TRC handed over its first set of reports, we also handed over a list of 300 names to the National Prosecution Um, asking them to investigate further with a view to prosecutions. And, of course, in the period since then, um, I and a number of commissioners had a number of meetings with the NPA to ask them what the block was in terms of both investigation and prosecution. And, of course, if one looks at the Nakatula case, we also have to place, I think, some of the blame Um, with the commission because in my view I think that many amnesty judges didn't have an understanding 
of the sort of normative framework of transitional justice and even less international law. And they made a number of mistakes. And Nakatula's case, like many of the disappearances, is one of them. You know, here you had a dispute between the white security police and the Askaris, who were mainly black, um, and where the Askaris were saying, well, it was absolutely impossible for these people to have escaped back to the ANC. And so, you know, in terms of an enforced disappearance, what the Amnesty Committee should have found is that they were last seen in the custody of state officials, and there's a presumption that they need to explain what's happened to them. That didn't happen. And, of course, if you look at many of the cases we are looking at, there are these classic disappearances. There is an obligation on South Africa to provide the truth to the families and to prosecute where necessary. And I, and I guess this question of 21 years down the line, there is a big question, why has the state not really done its job? around these questions, because if you look at the last cases on the Zimbabwe torture, which Angela's outfit has done, we have probably the most advanced jurisprudence in the world around the question of universal jurisdiction. And so that raises the question, if we can do it for Zimbabwe torturers, why can't we do it around our own cases? So how then, Yasmin, do you propose uh, we pursue domestic accountability for these crimes? Because the TRC did its job, and then, you know, just about nothing. So, you know, what's the point then? Because uh, what does it say about that entire process? Well, it makes a mockery of the process because it means that for those who genuinely committed themselves to the process and went through amnesty, they did it, and now they know that there are a whole host of others who are sitting quite pretty without ever having been held accountable. And so I think there are two options. The one is we've got to get the state to set up a mechanism to fast-track these cases because many of these alleged perpetrators are also dying and on their deathbeds, and so the question of evidence is a major issue. And the other is, of course, where many families are looking at what can they pursue privately, can they go to court and demand inquest at least, which is a starting process. And I think a third is to look at what kind of truth recovery we can do out there. And, of course, people like Saha, like Marjorie, they continue to do that. But really this is a case where we need to put pressure on the state to do its job. Now, um, Angela, from your side, I mean, um, you've heard what um, Yasmin has had to say. And of course, uh, you know, the um, uh, apartheid crimes are international crimes. So seeing that we are having difficulty, you know, obtaining accountability on the local front, I mean, uh, what are the other options that are available to victims who are still seeking justice? Well, I mean, the primary thing would be looking at the Rome Statute, but the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court is not retrospective. And because these crimes are committed prior to, enforce, in, to its enforcement, we have that technical issue. However, the enforced disappearance of Nokutula Similani is an ongoing crime. Um, but at the international level, there are complicated prescriptive hurdles that we'd have to look at. But I think the strength of the South African system is that South Africa has domesticated the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court, has domesticated the Geneva Conventions Act, and has, as Yasmin said, amazing jurisprudence to this effect. So there is actually no excuse for the lack of domestic action on this issue.
Well, uh, I just want to bring Temi Nkadimeng in at this point. She is, of course, the sister of uh, Nogtula Simelane. And um, uh, Temi, you know, um, obviously, you know, our hearts go out to you and your family. As Angela says, this is an ongoing case because you are still searching. But perhaps, you know, just for the benefit of our listeners, if you could just talk us through exactly what has happened to date. Oh, Sakina, I don't know it is that morning. And <laughs> 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 morning to... Angela and Yasmin. Look, it it has been a long road. Uh, Sakina, just in short, my sister, I was 10 years when she disappeared. eh? So uh, for the the past 32 years to me has been a life experience. An experience of uh, troubled parents um, uh, searching anywhere possible um, just to, to get a dignified sending or a dignified closer to my sister's um, disappearance but to that extent nothing has happened um, I grew up went to university and when I was then able to understand what is troubling them is then that I began to be involved and I think that started somewhere around 1995 while I was still a student at the university at the time um, I've been to seen any, almost everybody who you can mention by name at the NPA begging, pleading, meeting, goalposts to the next uh, for the past 10, 15 years, vividly, that mm-hmm. I can remember. And yes, uh, writing letters, toing and froing. Um, yes, we'll start next year. We're busy with the World Cup now. Uh, all our investigators are assigned to the World Cup. When that done, we'll, we'll prioritize you, madam. I'll wait. Then the docket is lost. And then we will assist, we will go to boxes, search, find copies of the, of the docket, forward it again. And then we are uh, looking for an experienced investigator. Until to date, eh? it has been a very long road. And now um, we've gotten to this point where we saw last week that um, Advocate Vusi Pikoli has given an affidavit in this case. So, um, you know, uh, do you deem that to be, you know, a victory, even if just a little one at this point? Well, to me, this issue is not about victory at any cost. Um, I think it's about the story of a South African who pride herself and made a choice um, to ideally have the South Africa that me and you have. So if I'm called a victim, really, I actually refuse because we are victors. We have survived as South Africans. And all as a family we are asking for is that, regardless of the ultimate sacrifice that she laid her life to, she still deserves a better send-off. And that's all we are asking for. And it can never be a victory. To us, it will remain a pain, it will remain a loss. A 23-year-old graduate who has never enjoyed anything uh, and had a choice, but she made a choice that was wise at the time. And that can only be victory, not for the Similani family, but for the entire South Africa. On that score, yes, I will celebrate the victory. Now, uh, Timbi, at this point, you know, what are you hoping for? Um, you know, what would you like to see happen right now as far as this prosecution goes? I'll just ask the NPA to follow uh, the law as it was agreed upon. You don't change the rule of the games when the game is, is, is in session. You draft the rules, you agree upon them, and then you, you start with your match. Uh, you, you may be aware that we, we challenged the, the, prosecu- uh, the, the, the review of the prosecution policy, I think some 10 years ago, or 5 or 7 years ago, 
uh, together with the Credoc 4 because we felt that our our rights again as families or victims um, are, are being taken for a right. And we warned that. Uh, and the judge was very clear in the, in, in that government must go back and prosecute on those cases or find an amicable solution. L- let's, let's take it back a step back to what Yasmin has said. Ordinarily, if Kutie, Pretorius and Mong had come forward, sat with the Similani family, and my father was still alive, and said, in the interest of what we were, we were protecting, uh, we captured her, yes, as you know. We tortured her, yes, as we know. But this is how it ended. I'm sure me and you wouldn't be talking about this this morning because it would have ended right at what the TRC had agreed upon. And remember, there were terms. And these terms had not been met. And, and when the terms were not met, it was clearly agreed prior that if terms are not met, you don't give us full disclosure, you don't qualify for amnesty. And if you don't qualify for amnesty, you are amenable to prosecution. And that's all I want the, PA, the NPA to do. Prosecute those who are involved and those who did not apply for the amnesty involved in the uh, case of uh, abduction, mm. uh, kidnapping, torture, and possibly murder uh, uh, for Noctulas Mela. Dr. Marjorie Jobson, um, you know, as Yasmin Suka was saying, they forwarded uh, uh, some 300 names uh, uh, to uh, the prosecuting authority, and yet we just heard now uh, from uh, Tembi that they, she's still waiting. Her family is still waiting. And so too are many other families. So what exactly is going on here? Um, we see this case that Tembi has had the courage to bring to force a decision on the part of the National Prosecuting Authority as representing the difficulties and challenges that are facing hundreds of people in this country who feel a deep sense of betrayal that the systems and the independence of the institutions set up to serve justice equally for all South Africans have experienced political meddling and trade-offs so that the interests of people who were part of security police in the past are put above those of victims and For us, I think the victory would be that we find we restore the NPA to what it has to represent for the citizens of this country, that it will not privilege particular constituencies in the country over over ordinary South Africans. That truly would be a victory, and that is what we hope will be achieved in this case, because there has been terrible meddling with the rule of law. There has been destruction of the trust in the independence of the National Prosecuting Authority, and those are critical institutions if we build a democracy based on the rule of law. So we're very, very proud of um, Tembi and her mother and her two brothers for, for pursuing this, for never giving up at great cost to the family who live with unresolved grief, um, who deserve that the systems in place now work evenly and equally for all the people of this country, especially those who made these huge sacrifices. And uh, uh, yes, Mitsuko, uh, do you feel, uh, you know, a sense of betrayal somehow, you know, given how things have panned out? Uh, because, you know, people went to the TRC. They bore their souls. I mean, I think, you know, most of us can vividly remember the scenes that played out at the TRC. And then to just be left, you know, uh, with no resolution to uh, the, whatever came out of that process. I think a deep sense of disappointment more than 
um, a sense of betrayal, but also I think a sense of how in almost every country around the world, um, you know, the weakest part of the work of truth commissions has been in the issue of follow-up and the question of reparations. And of course, if you speak to Marjorie, the reparations is another scene of struggle. Um, you know, in Latin America, in Guatemala, in Argentina, and in Chile, it has taken almost 20 years for human rights activists to push their governments into launching prosecutions. And of course, in Argentina, once they started, it seems that almost every new week you see another indictment. Um, I think here at home, when you speak to many of the families of victims, what they say is, we want the truth. Why don't they at least just come forward and tell us, where did they bury the bodies? What have they done? How did they do it? And, you know, there's still that enormous sense of hopefulness that if these guys come forward, then, you know, families are willing to kind of move on. Many of them have said to me, we don't even want the prosecution. It would be great if we could, but if we can't, at least can we recover the truth? And I think that's where the government really needs to think about what kind of process can they put in place to encourage the perpetrators to come forward. You must remember that many of these guys are sort of nearing their 60s and 70s. You see Clive Darby Lewis almost kind of dying in prison. And the point is, if they die, then the evidence goes with them. And I think that's what we need to really think about. But it is clear at this point that there uh, is no political will to proceed, um, you know, uh, with these prosecutions, Angela. It is, but this is why we had to bring this case, because that is simply unacceptable. The law on this is very, very clear. And for us to take South Africa seriously as a constitutional democracy and to uphold the rule of law, political interference cannot be accepted at this level. And as you'll see in Vusi Bukoli's affidavit, this is what we're challenging, that politics have prevented the prosecution of these cases and that can't be allowed to continue any further. Well, we are talking about um, the, uh, the, the the matter of why the South African government hasn't followed through on the prosecution of apartheid-era crimes this morning. And um, we welcome your calls, 891 SMS us on the number 34701. You can also tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. Now, I just want to run through some of the messages coming through. Uh, uh, Liv says, say... We had never followed up on many of these cases, and that is why many of us have not healed, because it is only the truth that can heal. And I guess many families still are suffering from that. Norman Moyo says, a negotiated settlement comes with clauses, and we compromised some of the truth and evidence, hence some of uh, the prosecutions have not been carried out by the NPA. Kulu SD says, we didn't follow up on the TRC because we were sold the fallacy that we got our freedom and all is well whereas it really isn't. And Sergeant said, SBs, Ascaris, and their recently acquitted bosses paroled are still alive. Rest in peace, uh, Nogutula Smelane. And uh, Warren Manning says, this is all about political expediency. Imagine if apartheid-era security uh, uh, officers were to name their collaborators. So, you know, um, many views coming through being expressed on this particular matter, but I must just indicate that we did invite uh, former 
National Director of Public Prosecutions, Vusi Pikoli, and he declined to be interviewed on this matter, um, matter that he raised, uh, you know, by uh, actually submitting that affidavit stating a political interference. And we also spoke to the NPA, uh, Velekayam Kobozi, uh, the NPA spokesperson, uh, also declining, saying that they will issue a statement. Well, that statement uh, we still have not received. We're coming up to news time. We're going to take a news break. And when we come back, we'll open those lines and take your calls on 891 SMS us on 34701, uh, tweet or Facebook at Sakina Kamwendo or at AM Live on SAFM. And our guest this morning, we have with us uh, Temeng Kadimeng, whose sister Nogtula has, uh, you know, uh, had gone missing. And for three decades now, they have been trying uh, to get justice. And um, so, so, so last uh, Friday, I think it was, um, the Business Day reported that Vusi Pikoli had in fact uh, uh, submitted an affidavit in which he stated that there was political interference in uh, trying to prosecute some of uh, these apartheid-era crimes and recommendations from the TRC. Yasmin Suka also with us this morning. She served as a commissioner on the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission and told us that some 300 names were submitted uh, to the NPA uh, for uh, prosecution, but Alas, we are still waiting as a nation. And then also with us, Dr. Marjorie Jobson, uh, National Director of the Kulumani Support Group, um, who have been doing a lot of work with victims, uh, not only on uh, the issue of prosecutions, but also on reparations. And Angela Modukuti is a lawyer for the International Criminal Justice Program at uh, Southern African Litigation Center. Well, uh, we promised to open the lines, and I see you are waiting there. 891 what are your views? on this particular matter. Let's start with Jablani uh, M. Nambiti. Good morning. Morning, Sakina, and your, and your uh, guest there. Welcome, Jablani. Yes. Sakina, what, what is very interesting to me is that you have organizations like the DA, like your Helen Susman Foundation, who are always telling us that they are fighting for justice, and they're very silent on this. Why are they not pursuing this? You know they are prepared to take the government to court at every turn. Why are they so silent on this one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Jabulani M. Nambiti wants to know, you know, where are some of the organizations that are always willing to take government to court? Democratic Alliance, uh, Helen Susman Foundation, and uh, maybe we'll get a response. Maybe Marjorie can help us out on that one. Kids in M. Tata, good morning. Good morning, Sagina. Thanks for taking my call. Sakina, I have a lot to contribute. I hope you'll be giving me time to do so. Not too much, Sakina, I, I want to agree with Vusi Piccoli in that there are signs that there was political interference. Uh, firstly, there's a case of Mama Sela. Mama Sela said it openly that if he is taken to court for the offenses that he committed, he is not going down alone. That. Therefore, says some of the people who are in power were involved. He, he has information about them, so they prevented him from going to court. Okay. There are lots more. Uh, let me jump to saying uh, the prison's department never revealed enough of what they were involved in during the, the killings. It's not the lady who is there who is only has who only has her sister missing. There are lots more. The prisons were involved 
in using prisoners into killing uh, detainees. Uh, I was listening to to Advocate Sebeza talking about the unfinished business some time back. He was on FAFM. He said prisons are the only department that opens everything. That I disagree fully, completely. Uh, there was a prisoner who presented him, who volunteered to go to the TRC to reveal the killings that I'm talking about. He was from somewhere in a Transvaal, from a prison in Transvaal. Towards the days when he was supposed to appear to the before the TRC, he was transferred to Amtata. At that time, I was in prison in Amtata. He arrived there. Shortly after his arrival, the prison from which he was coming from released a statement to the media claiming the guy has, has escaped, which was not true. That guy, when he arrived in Amtata, he was kept from writing any letters from any communication with the outside. Uh, he was instead transferred to all, the, to, to all the prisons. That means, I want to confirm that the, the lady who is there, who has a sister, it's not the only one. A person who was prepared to reveal everything that they did in killing people was prevented from doing so. Okay. Let me stop there, Sakina. Uh, kids, thanks so much uh, for sharing uh, that with us. And, um, y- you know, the uh, Mamasela case was, you know, uh, one of the more prominent ones. And uh, we'll come back to that. Um, Eddie in Edenvale, good morning. Good morning, Sakina, and your wonderful panel. You know, I echo the previous comment, uh, uh, comment from a previous caller about the silence of, uh, of uh, groups like the DA and AFRI Forum and so on. They're always in court at the drop of a hat, but their silence now makes them complicit. You know, it's disgust. Well, what I wanted to say is that I'm also disgusted that so many apartheid criminals uh, are, are, are seeming to, to evade justice by the lack of will by the NPA and our government. Uh, and, 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 and all this will be buried. And my, my question to the panel is, if the NPA and government have got so, uh, such a lack of will, isn't it possible to institute a, a class action or private action, raise money? Because my understanding is if the NPA uh, are, are unwilling to prosecute, this can be done, a class action, raise the money, get private investigators on this, because we can't allow this to be buried in the toilet bowl of history. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Eddie. In Edenvale, uh, Motala in Durban, good morning. Hello, good morning. Uh, my view is, unfortunately, with the granting of independence, certain leaders, important leaders and persons, began to deliberately emphasize, propagate the notion of forgiving, forgiveness and forgetting what the apartheid era people did to our people. In fact, many of those people who were arrested for political reasons, my friends, some of them, are still in jail, and the government has done nothing to release them. So the main thing is no good saying we are fighting for independence, we are going to do everything, but you don't implement anything. Implementation is not there by the ANC government from the time it came into power. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, uh, Motala. And obviously, you know, um, a very sensitive uh, subject that we are dealing with and, you know, people who um, have their own stories to tell. As we said, you know, Nogtula's story is not the only one. And it is clear that, you know, those wounds are still gaping. But let me come back to my panel and try to respond to uh, some of the issues that were raised. Marjorie, uh, if I could start with you, you know, um, Eddie and um, uh, also um, our first caller, talking about the fact that, you know, uh, organizations like the Suzman Foundation, uh, parties like the Democratic Alliance, they always seem very willing to take government to court. Why are they so silent? Uh, Eddie goes on to say they may even be complicit uh, uh, given their silence on this matter. Thank you, Sakina. Um, I think Jabulani raised this very, very good question. And I would like to disclose that the times that we have been to Parliament to address the Portfolio Committee, both on justice and on military veterans, we have been astounded at the positions that the DA has adopted. It is as if the DA has tried to render these things in the past without understanding that justice has not been achieved. So... um, Our last experience was with Dean Smuts in January last year, where we um, got an audience to present the fact that the trade-off was amnesty for people who came forward and reparations for victims, and the reparations has been very, very limited and has not followed the recommendations of the TRC. And then the argument from the DA side was, oh, well, we were only going to consider those people Um, the the victims of the few people who got amnesty. And we said, well, that is definitely not what victims did. Victims not as victims, but victims who fought and brought democracy to the country. That is not the understanding of victims. The undertaking was that the trade-off would be the truth for reparations, full disclosure for um, a proper regime of reparations, We have not achieved that yet, and I I do hope that the changes within the DA will realize um, the past history of the DA was largely linked to white beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. It's no longer the truth, but I do think there's a very big blind spot in the DA in looking at their role that they can play in breaking the silence of this grave injustice that is ongoing. And, and 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 just talking about you know this ongoing injustice, uh, Yasmin Suka. You know, um, as it was pointed out earlier, you know people are dying, memories are fading, and so 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 what are the prospects of you know uh, people actually receiving justice, given that we've had 21 years of democracy and we have failed to follow through? I think that's where the urgency comes, and you know I think one of, one of the things we often don't look at and. This is, you know, if you look at the legacy of what we are living with in South Africa today, it's really the legacy of the socioeconomic rights violations and, of course, the economic crimes perpetrated during that period. And, you know, if one was to bring a class action against the former apartheid leadership for, you know, that part of the apartheid convention, then you would have millions more victims. So I think that there's a real urgency here because... On the side of the families of the victims, they continue to wait, they continue to search for the truth, and they need that from the perpetrators. But the perpetrators are not willing to come forward. And in that kind of vacuum, you need some kind of political action to um, break the impasse, really. 
And is the impasse going to be prosecutions? That could be one angle, but another is what kind of process can we put in place to make sure that people are willing to come forward? I think that is really a big challenge for South Africans. I think a lot of work has been done by the Missing Persons Unit, which is also part of the NPA. You know, they've gone around and they've done a number of exhumations. They've found a number of bodies. They've returned that to families. And the joy of the families, it's also about closure. And for many, many families around this country, closure is very, very remote. Angela? In this case in particular, we've put very strict requests to the court for strict time frames. So whether it is referral to an inquest or a prosecutorial decision needs to be made, we've asked for strict timelines because this is an untenable delay. It's been 32 years. So if we, can, if we are successful on this front, this will set a precedent for the rest of the cases. What are the timelines that you've uh, set up? So the, the, uh, the respondents have 15 days to file a notice of opposition. After that, they have 30 days to file their answering papers. The other alternative is if um, the suspected perpetrators come forward, then you know, we may not have to go through this entire process. So there are options. Why would they come forward after all this time, you know, given that uh, they've been basically you know, left to their own devices? Uh, you, know, you had a process, uh, there were clear recommendations, and nothing has happened. Because what is obvious right now is that there is no will to actually follow through with this uh, Marjorie Jobson? Um, Sakina, the benefits of people coming forward and disclosing what they know are immense in terms of their own mental health. We are living with an absolute epidemic of mental health disorder in this country. And um, we have as Kulumani on behalf of certain families who do not care about a prosecution. They simply want to have a forum to meet the people involved in the crime that they committed. And we, we negotiated with advocates whether we could set up an in-camera session where, where there would be total commitment that this is not for the purpose of a prosecution. It is purely for the truth. And um, the attorneys on the side of the offenders were too terrified that if anything leaked out, then the NPA would be forced to prosecute, despite the fact that that was not the agenda of the victims. The agenda is the agenda of truth-seeking. And um, so, yes, I think uh, I, I was in a meeting last week with Kurbis Gerba, the General Secretary of the Dutch Reformed Church, and he spoke about the amount of counselling and pastoral work he is doing with people who came from that regime. But he hasn't decided yet to engage with the organized membership organization of victims. And that is still what is missing because these guys did things. They are terribly traumatized. Their personal lives are in complete disarray, Mm. but they haven't reached out across the divide to say, we'd love to talk to you. Um, We have black offenders who have done that, many, many black offenders. And, and have been accepted back into their communities and embraced. But there's still this fear of the white uh, perpetrators. And I hope that we can reach the point where we can understand yeah. we are all part of this one country. We can heal each other. We need each other to it's make a progress. I, I have a problem because, you know, in any country, if you look at the kind of prosecutions that are taking place across the world, you look at the fact that the Holocaust, Um, They are still chasing down perpetrators, and I think there's a child of a man who turned something like 92 that is ongoing now. 
And if people haven't come forward voluntarily in this 20 years, what is going to make them do that? So I think that there has to be some sort of compulsion, and maybe the only way is an indictment from the NPA. The other question for me has always been, we are dealing with foot soldiers, the trigger pullers. What about the architects, mm. the people who were the politicians? Um, how do we actually reach them? Many of them have gone on to become fated across the world, but the reality is, of course, that they are responsible for these, this evil policy which has been described as a crime against humanity. And I think, for me, before time goes on, this is what we really need to grapple with. And, of course, the government needs to come to the party. We cannot go on because impunity breeds other impunity. And I think that's a question we need to consider for the well-being of our own society. Mm. But look, about, uh, Mongana, to that effect, says we might as well open prison doors and forgive those who did us wrong in the name of consistency then, as far as this process goes. Uh, but, um, uh, Tembi, I mean, you know, from your point of view? Well, Sakina, you know, um, we have tried all possible avenues. We, we requested the Tutu Foundation, talk to them behind closed doors. We just want to part in peace. And Hegerk, we did the same. The, the, to, to us, really, there is no alternative or option we haven't followed. So, and the only recourse we were left with was something which we can ensure can happen. is our constitutional right, that we have a right to justice. And that's what brings us to the, the, the situation that we are on. But also... I, I must caution to say that, I mean, as, as a family person, I feel it's only us victims who keep on have to extend a, a hand of forgiveness and it gets to be kicked. We, they were given an opportunity which they did not take and utilize. We have sat in pain. I've lost a father who died in pain of not knowing where her daughter is. And today we still would want to consider that they would do that if they had, if they can. But with the time that has passed, it does show that it can only be the enforcement of the law that will make them to talk, not the willingness from their heart, which we have given an opportunity mm. to. So, and I think we have, we have, we have been uh, uh, hung low enough you know, to, to accommodate and to make sure that South Africa becomes peaceful. We get to commit to the priorities that we all face as a country, lack of housing, unemployment, etc., Ordinarily, we shouldn't be talking about this today, Sakina. We should be talking about those priorities. And we feel as a family, those priorities are important as well. But here, these guys need to serve us and, uh, and the country and, and, be, and, and be held accountable for taking the generosity of South Africans for a right. Because I think they did that. The, the deal was very clear and simple. Tell us show us, we will say, all is well. Mm. And we went there as families, when we could have demanded more. My father could have demanded more. But he decided to be a, a true South African and said the country has opted for this option uh, and, and, and as families we subject ourselves to that. So really it's getting the, the, the very last piece of the end, end stick, which is it's, it's unfair and unfortunate to us as families. And that is why I think at all costs I'll fight for justice on behalf of my sister until I get to the bottom of the issue. 
of what truly happened to her. And of course, this morning on the Forum Update, we are asking why didn't government follow through on prosecution of apartheid-era crimes? And um, we are fast running out of time, but we did promise that we would touch on that Mamacela story, which was one of the more prominent ones, Marjorie Jobson. If you could just, you know, very briefly talk to us about that. Okay, well, Joe Mamacelo was actually a common criminal operating in Soweto, mainly stealing cars when he was taken in by the security police and turned into an Askari. And he has been involved as the person who helped many, many young men to their deaths by recruiting them, saying he was taking them to join Mkonto Wesizwe and subsequently detouring off the road and having these young men, brilliant young men, leaders of the student movements of the day, killed. And the biggest problem with Mamasela has been he has never... Um, been held accountable. He has benefited enormously from serving the security police of the apartheid regime, and he has subsequently continued to be a criminal, recently killing his landlord. And it is a very, very sore point that there are people like Mamasela who are outside, and others like one of the callers said who are still in jail. Um, yeah, and you know we have been warned, and when we meet with Mama Sela, we know this is a man whose word you cannot trust. He will say whatever suits the occasion. Those are the kinds of characters that that have fraught this whole terrible process, rather than those who really know the truth, disclosing it in a in a proper forum. Yes, Mitsuka, your uh, closing remarks for us. Well, I think that um, you know a challenge has been set by the families of the victims, I mean, it should not be up to them to have to take these cases to court. It involves an incredible amount of money. This is the obligation of the state. And I think the state needs to put into place either a judicial inquest process which can deal with political crimes of the past so that at least we can recover the truth, if not a full prosecution. And at least families then can come to terms with what happened in the past. It's not going to happen anyway other than by the state intervening because, as you've pointed out, people have had a generous number of years. Marjorie and Tembi, between them, have gone to see many, many religious groups and individuals, but even that hasn't yielded any fruit. So in the absence of that, there has to be some kind of stick And that stick can only be brought by the government through the NPA. And I think that's what needs to happen, actually. Angela? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think the time for choosing political justice over criminal justice has come to an end. And as we see with the Mamasela case, some people never change. And some crimes need to be addressed head on from the beginning. And as we see with Nokotula's case, it's been more than 32 years and it's simply unacceptable. And I hope the South African authorities will step up to the plate and do the right thing. Tembi? Second, I would just like to say um, on behalf of uh, the families uh, that we sit together on a round table with Kulumani uh, and as Kulumani members, it's important for us that we take it upon ourselves and demand that justice is served uh, to us as victims uh, 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 who didn't benefit from the TRC process. And we hope that the country will be behind us and we hope that government will hear our plea and just accord us the respect that we are requesting and the dignity that we believe our beloved ones need as well. Thank you.
Well, uh, thank you so much uh, to our guest this morning, um, uh, Tembi Nkadimeng, for sharing with us her very personal story, uh, seeking justice still uh, for her sister, Nog Tula, also uh, Dr. Marjorie Jobson, and, uh, the National Director of the Kulumani Support Group, Angela Moduguti, who is a lawyer for the International Criminal Justice Program in Southern African Litigation Centre, and Yasmin Suka, who served as a commissioner on the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Well, that's where we're going to have to leave it this morning. Thanks so much for participating, as you always do, and to the production team for making sure it goes out loud and clear.